Welcome to the new revolution in fitness and performance, the Ardella Training Podcast, forging athletic bodies around the world. Here's your host, physical therapist and strength coach, Scott Ardella. All right, guys, welcome to episode number 141. Thank you for joining me this week. And I've got a great interview session for you this week. Every now and then, I may bring some unconventional topics and guests, things that you may not expect here on the show. And this week is one of them. I'll tell you more about that in just a minute. Now, since we discuss coffee and caffeine in this episode, I wanted to pass along something that I really like. If you heard a previous episode with Jason Ferrugia, you know that I like the Renegade Roast Coffee Blend. It's a high-performance coffee, it's a clean coffee that tastes amazing, and it's free from pesticides and chemicals. And it's a coffee that gives back, as each purchase supplies a person in need with clean water for two years. Again, this is something I personally use. I love this coffee, and I wouldn't recommend it if I didn't use it. If you like coffee, as I do, and as most of us do, then this is a coffee you'll definitely want to check out. For more information on this coffee blend, go to renegaderoastingco.com forward slash Scott. Again, that's renegaderoastingco.com forward slash Scott. It's an awesome coffee, and I guarantee you'll love it. A few quick things here before we get into this week's show. First of all, an update on scientific strength. I announced on this week's show, on episode number 18, that I'm taking a short break from that podcast. I'm taking a sabbatical, if you will. And the reason is, is because I am focusing on my new book, finishing up the new book, The Edge of Strength. Now, I'm taking just a break, a few weeks or so, to really focus on the book. And I will be going back to the Scientific Strength Podcast, which is doing really well, by the way. But you may be surprised to learn that it is an incredible amount of work each week just to do a simple 10-minute podcast. So something has to give. So I've got to finish this book. Uh, I'm going to focus all my efforts on getting this book done actually by the end of this month, the end of October, and getting it ready for a December release, a December release. And I will announce the specific date to you very soon. So I'm really, really excited about that. Now, here's the deal. This is my secret weapon for getting the book done. This is something I've been doing now for the past couple of months, and that's doing the system that we are going to talk about in this week's episode, this Two Awesome Hours approach. Two Awesome Hours is a great new book by Dr. Josh Davis, who is this week's guest on the show. Listen, guys, we are all busy. We all have busy lives, but are we effective? This book, Two Awesome Hours, is about 150 words, and it's a very simple approach. It may be the most usable system for productivity and peak performance I've ever seen. It's a quick read and very uh, simple, powerful strategies, and this system is greatly helping me to finish my book right now. This is something I use and apply, and that's why I wanted to share it here with you on the show. It's really interesting because I actually found this book a couple of months ago, and I interviewed Dr. Davis a couple of months ago, but I've been waiting to release this episode at the right time 
to uh, make sure that I, you know, got value from the system, which I have, and I have put the system into practice, and it's really, really awesome. So I highly recommend it. Again, you're going to learn all about this system this week in the show. Before I tell you about Dr. Davis, as always, if you like the Ardella Training Podcast, if you could take a minute and drop in a review in iTunes or Stitcher, that would be awesome and greatly appreciated. So let me tell you about Dr. Davis now. Dr. Josh Davis is a neuroscientist and is the director of research and lead professor at the Neuro Leadership Institute. He is the author of this great new book, Two Awesome Hours, which is science-based strategies to harness your best time and get your most important work done. He has written for many major publications, including Psychology Today. He's a brilliant guy. I really enjoyed this interview session. And in this session, you'll hear and learn about what is the two awesome hours approach for peak performance and productivity. You're going to hear about the five simple strategies to be awesomely effective and learn about the key to all of this, which is strategy number one, decision points what they are, and how to use them to drive performance. This is definitely different stuff than we talk about here on the show, but again, I think this is information that can help every one of you, and I know that it's certainly helped me improve my own productivity and performance. So let's jump into the interview this week with Dr. Josh Davis and learn about two awesome hours for maximizing human performance. Enjoy. All right, guys, I have Dr. Josh Davis joining me this morning, and he is the author of a new book titled Two Awesome Hours. Guys, I think you're going to love this interview session. I have to tell you that I'm really, really excited about it. Dr. Davis, thank you so much for joining me this morning and really looking forward to learning more about your new book. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. So I figured we'd lead off with telling the listeners a little bit about your background, your training, your experience, your areas of specialty before we get into the content and really talk about the great concepts in this book. Yeah, sounds great. So um, I actually uh, you know, have a, a varied background. I worked for a while as an engineer, as a high school teacher, ultimately got into research um, about the mind and brain. And uh, um what I've been focusing on in the last couple of years has been um, understanding what it is that allows us to set up those periods when we can be really effective. You know how sometimes we just you, you have a couple of hours where you can just really you know bang out whatever that project was, figure out what your business plan is going to be, or you know how you're going to have just the right team for this or that, um, how you're going to write a chapter in your book that that we can have these brief periods of intense productivity. So I've been studying how do we set up the conditions for that? That's where, where I've been focusing my energy. Excellent. So, so I'm going to ask a follow-up to that in just a minute. Now, the new book, Two Awesome Hours, I, I wanted to just share this story real quick before we started talking more about it. But So I, I, I buy most of my books on Amazon, but I find a lot of books in, in Barnes and Noble and I was in Barnes and Noble a couple of weeks ago and I saw this book, two awesome hours. It just kind of stuck out to me. It was the only copy left on the bookshelf, by the way, I picked up the book and I'm with my uh, two young daughters. So I, I take the book and I go over with them. We sit in the, uh, the child's area. So they're looking at, at their books and I'm kind of flipping through this book, really trying to determine whether I want to, to buy the book or not. And, uh, Again, I usually buy most of my books on Amazon. I started flipping through this book, 
I had to have this book right away. <laughs> so we left the store. You know, I, I had this uh, last copy of the book, started reading it that night, and just looking through it in the bookstore, I mean, I felt like this was a really, really unique book. So tell us the story. What was the driving force behind the book? It's about productivity. Um, and there's a lot of productivity books out there already. What was the driving force about this book and, and what makes this book different? Yeah. So I, I love that story, by the way. Just <laughs> I have a huge grin on my face. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's, that's so great to hear. Yeah. Uh, so um, w- what drove this book was that uh, you know, I was finding myself, my wife, my friends, my family uh, overwhelmed. I mean, we're working so much and it just seems that there's more and more work constantly. So many people putting in great work, doing, you know, people who care, people who are dedicated and just feeling bad about ourselves again and again. We're just sort of feeling like we can't get enough done, feeling incompetent. You know, it's just sort of this, you know, it, it didn't seem right. I mean, it just, it wasn't right. It was something had to change. And I know I'm not the only person to think that, but um, something shifted when there was a, a moment when I, I know a moment ago, I mentioned this idea of, of how we can have these brief periods of being really effective. And then, you know, we can have, I don't know about you, I can have days on end where I'm hardly getting anything done. And, right. uh, uh, you know, something shifted when I said, you know, wait a second, if we can do that, maybe we can learn to set up the conditions for that. And I think typically what we do when we get overwhelmed is we just say, well, look, there's, you know, so much work to do and uh, I've only got so much time. So I just need to stay on task constantly. I've got to use every moment efficiently. I've got to work more hours. How else am I going to get it all done? And that's perfectly logical from one perspective. It's just that it would make sense if you were a computer where you get the same output every time you run, (laughs) but we're not, we're human beings. We're biological creatures. We don't get anything close to the same output every time we run, but quite unlike computers, we can be remarkably productive and creative in short bursts of time. And, and so it was, you know, I sort of posed myself the question, what if we, what if we rethought the way that we're, we're working and instead looked at a, at a week or a day what really matters? How can I set up the conditions for that? And give, with my background in neuroscience and psychology research, uh, I started digging in and, and reading about, you know, how can we set up those conditions? Now, where did you see the gaps in, in what was out there in other productivity books and, and courses and trainings and things like that? What, what did you hope to do differently with this book? Yeah, well, so um, something that in, for me in particular, doesn't really work is to, to have extra work to do. You know, if I read a book and it's saying, you know, and I, I work trying to make me more productive, more efficient and saying, now you have to start doing this as well on top of your work. You got to start keeping track of all these lists or, you know, building new habits of things that on top of everything else you're doing, um, you know, find somehow find even more time for this new set of strategies. That stuff is something that I, I personally was never able to take on. And so I didn't find that, reasonable. I wanted this to be something that, to be honest, uh, I was working with what I think is the most extreme example that I'm aware of, which is uh, my wife. She's a medical resident. I wanted this to be something that even someone with as limited time as she has and with uh, such an extreme and intense schedule as she has, uh, that she could still be able to put it to use. And I wanted it to be something where 
anything that I could bring to people would be immediately usable, meaning that literally the moment you put the book down, you yes. can start putting it to use. And, and so that was a filter for the whole book. And I think that's, you know, that's something that uh, I don't know. You know, there, certainly there are elements you can get. There are nuggets you can get out of any productivity book like that. Right. But, uh, but it was very important to me that this whole book be that way. And, and I think that that's a, that's a way that uh, um, it stands apart in, in, uh, usefully. Yeah, and I would agree with that. And we'll talk a little bit about uh, the, the five strategies in this book. And so this book is just a little bit over 150 pages, very simple. And I'm all about simple. We talk about that a lot here on the podcast in in training and nutrition and, and really everything. And, and that's what is so uh, great about this book. That's one of the great things about this book. Now, I did want to ask you, so why two hours? Is two hours, is that the magic number for productivity and peak performance, can we go beyond the two hours? What What are your thoughts on on that? What did you find in your research? Yeah, so um, now two hours. I've said obviously the title is two awesome hours. Yes, um, there's actually nothing magic about two hours. The reason that I've that I've asked people to focus on two is because it's achievable and reasonable for anyone right away. Um, and you know, we could all set up anyone tomorrow could set could set up two hours of being highly productive. Uh, you know, maybe having four or five hours tomorrow, that might be a stretch for a, a lot of people. But two hours or less, you know, is something that's very achievable. Um, there's, uh, I, I think it's important actually to, to expand the idea. Once you read the book, I think it comes across fairly quickly but that, that sometimes you only need 30 minutes. You know, sometimes you need three hours, but you can do that. So, uh, yeah, on the other side of that, I was going to ask what would be the maximum, but I guess it depends on a lot of things. It might depend on the mental energy and, and how you're feeling, what type of state you're in that day. Exactly. If I've gotten a full night's sleep and uh, I wake up and I'm in a pretty clear state of mind, you know, I stopped myself from working before it got too late the night before. So wake up, I'm in a pretty good state. Uh, you know, maybe I'll have two awesome hours in the morning and uh, then get to some other stuff that drains me a bit. And then I'll exercise in the middle of the day and then have another two awesome hours, you know, and maybe even a third session uh, if it's a really special day. You know, so it, it, there's no, you know, I don't think there's a maximum, but I do think it's important to recognize that we can't be on all the time, right? but we don't need to be on all the time. We can get to the stuff that's less important when we're not at our best. Absolutely. Now, one other thing that I liked about the book a lot besides how it's structured with a simple concepts, but it's based on science. So I wonder if you can talk about that and how much research went into the strategies that are outlined in the book. Yeah. So, you know, how much it's a little bit, Hmm. You know, some, sometimes people ask me how much time did you spend on it? The thing is I was having fun. Uh, and so I don't, I didn't keep track of exactly how much time. It was essentially, you know, a nights and weekends project over a couple of years. But um, it, the, uh, except to say that, of course, I used my best time during the day. So the equivalent <laughs> of that amount of work. Right. Uh, um, but uh, uh, yeah, so how much research? I mean, once I would get onto an idea and say, you know, you know it, it seems to me or I've heard about the importance of, let's say, mind wandering. Um, and so then I would go and start reading about it and it could be 
several days of learning about the research and reading about it. Or it could be something I already knew pretty well and I could come across it quickly. Sometimes there only were one or two studies that I could really dig up. Uh, sometimes there were hundreds of studies on a topic. I had no idea. There's a whole body of literature on the psychological consequences of caffeine. Right. I, right. Who knew? <laughs> well, let me ask you, was this important to you to really dig, dig up the research and really validate these points, these strategies in the book? Oh, it's it very important to me that, you know, if I, if I suspected something was relevant, let's say, you know, caffeine, I didn't land on it by accident. I suspected, obviously people use it all the time. There's probably something relevant here. Um, so I wanted to try to find out, you know, what's the latest wanted to look for, reviews and comments that people had had on other literature, uh, meta-analyses, if they exist. That's when you look at a lot of studies at once and sort of statistically see what you can infer from across all the studies. Um, you know, so, uh, um, yeah, and sometimes if there was just one or two illustrative studies and not more research had been done, you know, then, you know, that's all you can go with. But sometimes I'd find out there is nothing. There's, you know, I was wrong. There isn't actually, for example, it could have been the case that there was nothing conclusive about caffeine, um, in which case it wouldn't have ended up in the book. Right. Now you talked about in the beginning, I wanted to go back to what you said when we opened up really maximizing this two hour time period and almost essentially going into, into the zone so that you're, you're taking advantage of the peak time that you can really focus in on your productivity. What are the, the key components to, to be in the zone according to, to what you found out with the book? Um, now, there's, there's the zone where you're really in a flow state, um, which is – which feels great, and um, yes, we can do some amazing work there. I also think that we don't always have to be really in a full zone to be getting some great work done, that we can be pretty – we can really have um, some highly effective time even, even if, uh, you know, it's not a flow state. Um, but nonetheless, yeah, it, it's still, you know, really getting into that space. Some of the things that help are recognizing um, – Recognizing when we're on autopilot and when we're not on autopilot, um, you know, learning about what to do when you do get distracted, because even if you're, you know, in a pretty good state, there's a chance that your mind will drift uh, from time to time. In fact, if it doesn't, that's that's probably problematic. <laughs> right. um, attention systems are not designed to stay focused. They're designed to pick up on what's changing. Um, and, you know, so every 15, 20 minutes or so, you should expect that you're going to get distracted. But so learning what to do to help get back on track, you know, that's, that's critical. Recognizing before you start some work to check in with what is my mental energy right now? How fatigued am I? What emotions have been going on recently? That that's actually going to have a, a useful impact on making use of that time that's coming. Um, so those are some of the things. We can definitely keep going if you want. Now, this is kind of a weird question, but are there good distractions and maybe, uh, it, well, I guess, are there good and bad distractions and how do we know which is which? Oh, yes. Okay. So <laughs> there are, there are, there are um, distractions that will help you mind wander. And you may be thinking, a lot of people may be thinking, the problem is that my mind wanders. That's exactly what I need to stop from happening. Um, in fact, mind wandering, otherwise known as daydreaming, is extremely useful. Um, what it allows that we don't get at other times 
is uh, it helps us to integrate the neural circuitry that's involved in what we call executive functions. You can think of that like maybe staying focused on a goal would be an example. Um, and the neural circuitry that's involved in social processing, thinking about yourself and others and, and your social life. Typically, it's one or the other that's active. When we mind wander, when our mind's just kind of drifting and not staying on topic, there's integration. Both of those sets of circuits are active at the same time, and there's integration that we wouldn't normally have. So it's a way to, to find how to integrate different elements of your life. There's also something called creative incubation that happens when we mind wander. That means that if you've been working on something challenging, you know, how am I going to get this new business going, Right. Uh, for example, that uh, if you let it incubate, in the background, non-consciously. So while you're mind-wandering and you come back, you're more likely to come up with creative solutions and more of them, more solutions that are also more creative than if you had it. It doesn't make you more creative in general. It makes you more creative about whatever you were puzzling over beforehand. It's also useful for planning ahead. When, when minds wander, they tend to wander to the future. Okay. Um, That's something I didn't know. Interesting. Uh, yeah, they tend to wander to the future. <laughs> we tend to figure out our own plans for the future. And separate research has shown that when people... Uh, when, when we think about the future, we tend to have rose-colored glasses. We tend to have optimism. We tend to expect things to go well, which is quite useful for actually going ahead and trying out new things. So it helps us to start to map out a plan for the future. And then finally, mind-wandering, and maybe we'll learn more things as well. Mind-wandering uh, helps people delay gratification, find ways to rethink whatever the challenge is so that they can hold out you know, instead of just uh, eating the cookie now, I'm going to save myself so that I can look good tomorrow. You know, delaying gratification is, is uh, something that it helps us with. So when we go to a different kind of, when we go to most distractions, if I go to that, you know, gossip column or, you know, or, or checking the sports standings or yes. Facebook, yes. email, any of those things. Right. There's too much information coming in. It actually is going to block mind-wandering. If I have to hold information in mind or there's too much that I'm focused on, it's going to block mind-wandering. Mind-wandering is enabled, though, by doing things that take your mind off of what you're doing, but they don't distract you so much by needing you to track information. They just give you something else to focus on. So the classic image of somebody staring out the window it's a perfect <laughs> right. thing to do. You walk to the window, you look at the people going by, yeah. you know, or you look at some art on the wall, or you listen to the sounds in the room, you know, or the sounds in some music. Of course, if it's music, you got to remember to turn it off afterwards. But, but what's, what's really nice about this is not only does it give you a chance to mind wander so that when you come back, you'll be more effective, you're also much more likely to come back to your work sooner because doing that kind of thing, staring out the window at the people... That gets uninteresting after a few minutes, right, and you just right. drift back. But if you're checking something online, one of these things that may be fun or maybe it's responsible, either way, it's quite likely that you'll get sucked in and you could be lost for a half hour, an hour, who knows. That's, that's really, really interesting information. So your third strategy is stop fighting distractions. And so that's really important to understand that mind wandering would be a healthy distraction because of the benefits that you just went through. But on the flip side of that, you have the complete distraction, which is, would be looking at social media, checking email, news, that kind of stuff. So I, I think it's really, really important to understand the, the, the differences in distractions in that strategy. That was really um, insightful to me. 
looking at these strategies, I have to say that one of the most, probably the most important strategy for me was strategy number one, and that was recognizing decision points. So I wonder if you could talk about uh, what is a decision point and how do we best manage that? Yes, definitely. You know, to understand decision points, it's helpful to understand how we process things as in, in a default way throughout the day, that most of the time we're on autopilot. And by the way, I put this as strategy one because once you've got it, it helps you take advantage of all the other strategies. Right. Um, so it's a strategy in itself, but it's also a meta strategy. It's something that helps you apply all the others. The, you know, most of the day we're on autopilot. And what I mean by that is, is not that we're not conscious at all, but that we don't need a whole lot of conscious monitoring. Um, you know, your commute to work, you don't need a whole lot of conscious monitoring. In fact, you might not even notice it unless there's something that comes up a roadblock and you need to, to do something different. You're, you know, when you're getting ready in the morning, you don't need a lot of conscious monitoring. You've done it many times. Even when you're doing complex things at work, like running a meeting or let's say the conversation you and I are having right now, we're in conversation mode. I'm paying attention to what I want to say to you, but I'm not really thinking <laughs> about all the other things that I need to do today and in, right. you know, and in my life. I mean, we're in conversation mode, right? Yeah. So we're operating fairly on autopilot. You know, anyone who's felt that the day has just gotten away from them because they were checking email, you know, have experienced operating on autopilot. And so it's a natural way for us to operate. It's useful because it helps us be present, right? However, it, there's, there's a problem that once we get started on something, we can't willfully snap out of autopilot. Something has to interrupt us. So there's only a handful of times during the day when we're really conscious enough of all the right things to be able to make a decision. It happens right before a task. It happens right after a task ends. And this is the most surprising one. It happens when somebody interrupts you. It's, right, it can right. be super frustrating. <laughs> you know, you're trying to work. Somebody walks in. They ask you a, quote, quick question, which is going to last for 20 minutes, you know, and then they finally leave. The whole time you're feeling nervous and just like it's stressed out and like you can't believe that you're not going to get to your work. The, the natural thing to want to do right at that moment when they finally leave is to just say, ah, finally I can get back to this and try to get it done, except now I have to work even faster. Right. However, if you understand that most of the time we're on autopilot, then it can be helpful. I don't know about you. I sometimes get going on the wrong thing. Yes. <laughs> absolutely. <I> get, <laughs> absolutely. Right. If I get interrupted, then I now know this person has created an opportunity for me. I might still be angry at them. That's okay. You can be angry at them if you want. But they've created an opportunity. They've interrupted me. Now I'm much more conscious of how much time is passing, of what's on my plate. I have the opportunity to step back and remember what it is that actually matters today. And there aren't that many things that actually matter for anyone's job. If, if you ask somebody when they're on vacation, if you ask somebody on a weekend or something, what actually matters? You know, for me, it's, thing, it's writing and presenting. Those are the things that are most important. Right, you know, right. it's, if I'm, you know, everything else is secondary. But if I'm in the moment and I'm sitting there looking at the stuff staring me in the face and 30 requests from colleagues... There's social obligations. I want to get back to them. I want to help. It's not necessarily going to help the company move forward or help me move forward. But so recognizing that moment, even if it's uncomfortable, even though sometimes it's just like you, that's when you feel like you're not productive, but it's not because you're wasting a lot of time. It's because 
you're more aware of not being productive in that moment because you're more conscious. Because what happens is that when when we come to a crossroads where autopilot can't handle things anymore, right? it brings on conscious resources so that we can make a decision. So we're more aware. Those few moments, we might really be aware of time passing and how unproductive we feel, but that doesn't mean we should just grab whatever is the first thing and work on it. Where time gets wasted is when you get started on the wrong project, yes. on the wrong tasks. Then you can lose an hour or two. If you spend five minutes at every decision point you have in the day, maybe you're going to add up to 45 minutes. It's not, you know, that's the time to really savor, to recognize I've got a special moment in the day. They don't come around often. I'm going to take this moment and just step back for a minute until I can think clearly uh, and remember what matters. And, the, and that's, that's what it means to recognize your decision points. So it really goes back to awareness and clarity, I think is what you're saying. It's awareness and clarity. And you can make it easier on yourself to have that awareness and clarity by learning when these decision points are likely to happen. Um, you know, if, when you end a meeting, it's so tempting. You know, I, I certainly, I know I have the experience. I walk out of a meeting and I'm just like, okay, wait, what, who am I? What am I supposed to be doing? And immediate, right. the, the urge is to just start looking at the to-do list. Yes. But before looking at the to-do list, I now know this is a decision point. Right. I actually can think more clearly and make more deliberate decisions than I can usually. So I take a moment until I can think clearly. Then I think about what really matters. And then I look at the to-do list. And, and that way I end up picking the right thing. So that was going to be my question, but I think you really just answered it. So the question was going to be uh, the person has a to-do list of 20 items and they're all perceived as being relatively important. How do you help someone sift through that? I think the, the answer, what you're saying is like for you, your example was speaking and writing. So it always comes back to being clear on what your real top priorities are. And then that's going to dictate everything else. So if you do have this long list, you really have to be clear again on, on what's most important. I think that's really the simple answer. That's exactly right. You got to give yourself a moment to connect, reconnect with what's most important. Remember what's most important before looking at that list. Yeah, that, that's really helpful. And I'm, I mean, quite honestly, for me personally, because I know that that's me, you know, that's, you know, I have a long list of to do items every day. And since reading your book, that insight has been really helpful for me. As a matter of fact, I had a meeting recently with a, a friend and we were kind of talking about some productivity things. And I was saying how important, you know, writing is for me and that, you know, I always have these long to-do lists, but the most important thing is, is writing. Before anything else comes, looking on that list, for example, I already know in my mind what is the most important thing without even looking at that list. so that, That's right. That's right. Exactly. And, it, and then it's, it's so different. Then it's so much easier to look at the list. And, uh, you know, you may not even need to look at the list, but you can, you know, as a reminder, just to make sure nothing, you know, that you really are making a strategic choice. Uh, but, uh, you know, that kind of awareness is key. And, and figuring out what those priorities are, you know, some people recommend a lot of deep soul searching and, and, but I actually, I'm, I'm in a different camp. I think that if you ask anybody when they're, when they're actually away from work for a moment, maybe it's even after just uh, taking a break to exercise in the middle of the day, you know, what really matters in your work for you, what's going to move you ahead and move the company ahead. You know, most people could say, yeah, it's, it's these things, you know, it's, and uh, you know, it seldom is, all of those little things on the list. How many things do you think is 
uh, ideal, I guess, for, for any person, what would be the, the number of things that really matter? Is it one thing? Is it three things? W- what would you think for most people? Yeah, that's, uh, you know, I hadn't thought about that question before. <laughs> um, you know, there's certainly there's the rule of, of three, you know, that it's very easy for people to think about threes. Um, and that's why you see it again and again in, in different uh, literary structures and, but, um, uh, and, and memory schemes. Um, certainly, if there's one principle, then we can think about uh, in the design world. Um, I love the book Design. Uh, what is it? Uh, it's not called Design Thinking, but it promotes design thinking. It's Tim Brown's book. Um, you know that that. Uh, but in the design world, they try to have a single design principle that guides everything, and that definitely makes it easier to think about. Um, you know, what's our purpose here? You can always come back to that. And so, if there is one thing, then you know that certainly is useful for some people. There won't be just one thing. Um, you know, speaking and writing for me it would be hard for me to have a useful category that would capture both of those. Um, so, for it's quite helpful to have two things there. Uh, if you're getting beyond five things, then it is probably uh, useful to make some broader categories because five is just a natural, easy thing for anyone to hold in mind. Um, so it's, uh, it just makes it easier to think about, to call it to mind when you need to. Um, so if you find yourself going beyond five, probably that's a good clue that it's worth, um, you know, giving it a little bit more time to mull over. Right. Now, who's the best example of a high performer that you can think of, or maybe that you found in your research in writing this book? Well, I mean, my favorite example is Ben Franklin, and he's in the book. I mentioned, yes. <laughs> you know, I talk about him a little bit in the book, hey, just because he is he is the example of of the productive person. You know, I mean, he's and he's known worldwide. Uh, he accomplished so much, uh, you know, and if you think about it, you just figure, well, he must have been a workaholic. Uh, there's obviously there's famous stories of people who worked around the clock, like Thomas Edison, you know, and, and that was a point of pride for Edison was that he was always working. But actually, uh, if you read Edison's autobiography or not, yeah, it was an autobiography or biography, it's biography, then, uh, uh, there's actually this one period in his life that preceded, uh, one of his most important inventions. If I'm not mistaken, it was the light bulb, um, where he, he actually takes a vacation. Um, it may not have been the light bulb. I have to double check that, but, but, you know, so you look at that, you contrast it with someone like Ben Franklin, who, who he's got, um, you know, he's built this printing empire. He's, uh, you know, a diplomat, he's helping to form a country, he's founding libraries, he's doing scientific research, he's developing inventions, right? Um, this guy, if you look at his autobiography, he talks a lot about things like creating a schedule for every day that includes a two hour lunch (laughs) where he's taking care of himself. You know, he loved reading. So he would spend time just reading books at his lunch, you know, personal affairs. Also, he would uh, listen to music or, or uh, hang out with people, could conversations, uh, have fun in the evenings. Um, He had time set aside for that every day. You know, I, who knows if every day of his life he managed to do it, but at least he really tried to live according to this. He got a full night's sleep on a regular basis. He had lots of hobbies. This was a guy who was spending a lot of his time doing things that were not about his printing work, not about the, the thing that was generating his income. Ultimately, indirectly, a, a number of them did lead to things that he got paid for, but, but that wasn't, you know, a lot of them didn't. Uh, and the things that led to founding the library, he had a group of buddies that liked to read books. They were hard to come by back then. 
they'd get together and spend a lot of time just chatting about the books they were reading and they wanted to access each other's books easily. So they put them in one room. And then from that, you know, the library is poor. And it's, it's you know, there's uh, all of these incidental things occurring right. as a result of him giving a lot of time to uh, enjoying life, to spending time with people, to flirting, you know, to, <laughs> to, to reading and, and, uh, and, and just playing around with things that he found interesting, like, like developing his stove. Well, that's really interesting because that is – so I don't know a lot about Ben Franklin uh, basically because I haven't read his, his books, the, the biographies that, that you mentioned. Uh, obviously, I've, I've heard about his habits and how successful he's been, of course. But what's really interesting is that is in alignment with some of the things that I've learned about productivity where it's kind of that balance between uh, peak productivity time, kind of the, the awesome two hours, and then this really – disconnect where you rejuvenate, restore, and get away from that work. And that really makes the productivity better, you know, being able to get back into that, that flow state. So it's not, you know, working all day long, really hard, but, you know, taking planned time away. And as you just mentioned with Ben Franklin, um, you know, two hour lunch breaks, you know, reading all the hobbies he had, getting the sleep. I mean, all that is so important in peak performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, getting getting away from the work will help you be more effective when you come back. And in the short term, it's things like mind wandering, you know, so now we know some of the research about why. And in the longer term, it's things like sleep. And of course, everyone's had the experience that on a good night's sleep, you can be a lot more effective, you can really think clearly and get your work done more quickly. And often we don't allow ourselves to do that. However, the more that there's, I think, I think part of it is that, uh, on the one hand, there's social pressure. So, you know, over time, uh, there was, and I think it's, it's really started to change visibly, but, um, certainly for a long time leading up until about, you know, five, 10 years ago, uh, people competed to show how little sleep they were getting and how overwhelmed (laughs) they were. And now you're more likely to come across, uh, you know, if somebody says I'm not getting enough sleep, you're more likely to come across a statement of sympathy rather than a statement of being impressed, you know? And I think that's a good cultural shift. It's like, you know, I'm sorry to hear that as opposed to, Oh man, you're working hard, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and so that's, but so there's that piece. There's also that, you know, when you hear about something that works for someone else, then you might say, well, that just works for you. You have a different scenario. You're a different person. But when you're able to read the science that supports it, then it's easier to say, oh, that's just how brains work. You know, do I want to work with that or not? It's, so it's, it's much easier to have enough to believe in to make it worth trying something out. And so you know, what I recommend uh, is that we really give ourselves a chance to take advantage of these times when we're not working, by doing things like throughout the day, if somebody turns to you and starts chatting and you want to socialize a little bit, instead of pretending and sitting half at your computer and half socializing, (laughs) commit to hanging out. Turn and face the person or walk out of the room with them, you know, commit to hanging out for a few minutes, come back, commit to your work. You're going to be more effective at the work and spend less time on it if you do that then if you're trying to kind of juggle these things at the same time, then that's just going to fatigue you and you won't enjoy either, you know, and, 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 uh, you know, you can start thinking about your evening, you know, it's sort of like, oh, should I stop working now? I'm so tired. I can't think straight. Should I stop now? Well, if you're thinking about it as I'm setting myself up to really be 
awesome tomorrow morning. Right. And that's different than thinking, oh, I haven't done enough and I can't believe I still have so much to do tonight. You know, so it's a shift in how we're thinking. It's about how can I set myself up to be really effective for short periods of time. And as we do that more and more, you know, by the end of the week, you're starting to have more work-life balance. Yes. All right. So let's talk about exercise and nutrition for peak performance. So according to your research, how important is exercise and nutrition to, to be maximally productive? Uh, this is this is one of my favorite chapters. So uh, <laughs> yeah. the mind body connection stuff. Partly because uh, you know when I was um, a, a grad student and then a professor, I most of my research was focused on these connections. But um, so I have a particular interest. But also just because it's so it's so powerful and it's so immediate. So there's one important shift that I really want to highlight here, and that's that. Usually the story about exercise and food um, is that, you know, if we exercise regularly and we eat well, down the road, that'll make us look better, that'll make us feel better and be healthier. Indirectly, that'll reduce stress. Indirectly, that will then lead us to be more productive at work um, in general. Yes. And those things, there's every reason to think those things are true. However... You can't know that that's going to be relevant on any one particular day. It's a general general thing. But there's a different side to exercise and food. There's plenty of research on it. It's just not part of the normal narrative, which is the short-term effects. How is it going to affect me in the next 30 minutes? How is it going to affect me for the next five hours, the short-term effects? And there, uh, there's it's quite reliable. It's very easy to know what's likely to happen. You know, You don't have to hope at all that... Uh, you know, and here's this is one of the areas where there are you know over a hundred studies and meta analyses have been conducted already. The effects of exercise on mood. Um, it is one of the most reliable things that I've ever come across uh, for reducing anxiety. So if you've just been doing some work that was making you anxious, then a little exercise can just help reset. Or if you're about to do something where you really want to be present. And you don't want to be distracted by all the little things in the background. A little bit of exercise can be a perfect way to set you up so that you're not so anxious, easier to stay focused, let the small things go, and concentrate more effectively. Also, though, we're not talking about the kind of exercise that you might do for the long term where you're, you know, you're really pushing yourself, um, where it's, it's, you know, or maybe it's not for the long term but just for the sake of you know, the fun of it and knowing your limits – um, we're not talking about really killing yourself and like going to your limits here. We're talking about moderate exercise. That's the stuff that's been shown to have the best short-term benefits. So moderate would be working up a sweat, breathing heavily, but not pushing your limits. Maybe 20 minutes on the treadmill jogging or walking up and down the stairs for 15 minutes. For some people, just a brisk walk for 40 minutes can be enough for that. It's uh, that kind of exercise, super reliable for for shifting your mood for the next period of hours, uh, you know, and it's something that uh, is so reliable that I now make it part of my preparation when I have an important presentation to do. And if there's no other way, I just jog in place in my hotel room, you know, uh, because it's, it's just part of the preparation now because I know that it's going to make such a difference. So what you're saying is using moderate exercise, uh, strategically timed around certain things that you may need to be more productive in. 
like presentations, for example. What I was going to ask actually was, so listeners to this show who were doing higher intensity type of training, how would that maybe relate? Is there any, is there any benefit to that? Or is that not the type of exercises, as you were just mentioning, that would be productive to, to increase performance? Well, I would encourage people on the show to try out one or two things. Um, one of them is to just start being aware of how clearly you're thinking in the hours following your exercise. And, you know, because every person's a little bit different and the amount that you push yourself is a little bit different. It's not that intense exercise won't have any benefits, but it's not as, uh, as reliable as moderate exercise. So, you know, there's some variation and it probably depends on how intense the person's going. Uh, so, you know, you can check in with yourself and see how much it is helping. And you'll certainly notice, you know, you'll be aware of whether you're thinking more clearly and are feeling less anxious, um, you know, after intense exercise. So while it may not be as beneficial as moderate exercise for this, it may still be quite beneficial and, and far preferable than not doing any exercise. So you can check in with yourself on that. And what you may want to do is some days choose to just shift what time you're doing that workout. However, there's another thing that you may be interested in trying, and this is certainly something that I've done, is uh, have some days where I have a few small little, you know, I have a, a jog in the morning if there's something really important in the morning, and maybe I do some stair climbing in the, in the afternoon if I've got something really important in the afternoon. That's not every day, but, you know, a few small bouts of exercise, even if you're also going to do your intense exercise at a different time of the day, um, are things that you could start to play with, uh, to see if you can get these advantages more often. So those are some ways to work it in, I think. Okay. Uh, Just wanted to go back to that timing again, though. In general, what would you say is the best time to to use exercise around peak performance? I just want to make sure that I I understood. So that would be exercise first and then a a two-hour, two-awesome-hour session? Exactly, exactly. So, So the thing is we don't, again... You know, I think it's useful to come back to this idea that we don't need to be at our best all the time, and we can't be. So it's thinking about what's really most important. Uh, how can I set up the conditions for that when I need to? And if you have some flexibility in your schedule, well, then you can just choose where to put it so that it fits with your exercise naturally. And if you don't, then it's trying to figure out how to get that little bit of exercise beforehand. Um, so it's, it's using it when we're talking about productivity, when we're talking about setting up two awesome hours, then, you know, it's getting the exercise sometime within, you know, uh, roughly an hour before that. Okay. All right. And let's talk about managing energy. So maybe the nutritional component to that, uh, what advice can you offer there as far as, uh, water, caffeine, uh, mm-hmm. general nutrition tips to, to optimize and, uh, peak productivity sessions. Yeah. So, you know, something that was, uh, um, it shouldn't have been surprising to me, but it was, was just how, um, how reliable water is as, uh, as a good way to help you get back into, into that zone right. that, you know, we get dehydrated all the time. We're biological. We rely on water for so many of our processes. It makes perfect sense that when we get dehydrated, that we won't be functioning as well. People are more agitated in general when they get dehydrated. And it's just a little bit of dehydration. You know, if it's been two hours since you had any water, you're probably starting to get dehydrated and you're not probably responding as effectively as you could to, 
to what's in front of you. D- Dr. So, Davis, if you don't mind me asking just one quick question there, have you seen any stats with uh, that show, uh, let's say Americans, for example, that are dehydrated? I've, I've heard some stats that... Interesting. No, I haven't. Okay. I, I don't right. know those. I was just curious. All right. Yeah, Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> okay. Um, but, you know, so especially if you're working out, you know, you, you know, and probably most people working out will know this already, but you're going to lose some water. And uh, so a, a first thing to do right after working out is to replenish some of that water. It's going to make it easier to start to, to get get those benefits of the exercise more quickly. So water, you know, if you haven't had it, if you just worked out or you haven't had it for a couple of hours, have a glass of water. It's probably going to make a difference. Um, when it comes to food, the, the, the principle that stood out to me the most was having stable blood sugar. Those things that stabilize blood sugar are going to help to stabilize concentration and mood um, in useful ways, make it easier to to really be present and be focused. That comes from making sure that uh, your food has fats in it. Um, you know, I've seen suggestions for equal portions of fats, carbohydrates, and proteins in it. So, you know, for, for uh, people who are working out a lot, you know, I, I, there's often, you're often already doing this. So, um, you're continuing to snag in the way that you do and eat in the way that you do. One thing that stood out to me as, uh, surprising was, um, it, it fits certainly, but I, I just didn't realize how reliable it, it could be is that, uh, you know, let's say you're tired, but you've really got to keep going for four or five hours, just taking your lunch and cutting it in half, eat half now and half two hours later, rather than eating all of it now. And then trying to go for that full period, that's going to help you maintain, uh, maintain focus and, uh, and have a more stable mood throughout that period. Um, so, so having, uh, having fats in your diet is going to be useful for stabilizing and keeping you going as well as, uh, cutting it in half and just eating more frequently will be useful for that. It's for those times when we really need to be on. And those are some of the things we can do. You mentioned caffeine too. Yes. I, yeah. yeah. That was yeah. my next question. Yep. Yeah. So, so caffeine, uh, interestingly, there's a uh, two camps of research, one <laughs> saying that all those caffeine effects that we enjoy, that those are really just withdrawal reversal, that while you sleep overnight, you go into withdrawal. And when you have the, when you have the caffeine, it brings you back to what you would be uh, if you were never addicted in the first place. And other people say, no, caffeine does have beneficial effects on attention and on mood. Um, and those studies are done with people who are not addicted to caffeine. So, but either way, either way, whether you're getting the benefits because it's withdrawal reversal or you're getting benefits on their own, you're getting some benefits in the short term. Um, so the, one of the things to be aware of, though, is that caffeine has been shown that to, to be less effective if you go beyond your dose. And at this point in life, most people will know what dose they can handle. And, you know, if you're good on one cup or you're good on two cups, or for me, it's actually just like a third of a cup, you know, but, but whatever your dose is. Right. right. That right. if you go beyond that, it actually tends to start to backfire, to to get in the way of make people anxious and jittery and it's harder to work. So if you're not waking up with your dose, what you need is a nap. More coffee is actually probably going to get in the way uh, of concentrating and uh, and functioning well. The only other thing I'll say with caffeine is so so there's stick to your dose. Um, there's also have the caffeine with some food, uh, it, those euphoric feelings. If you just have it black or with sugar, 
then they'll probably just last for about a half hour. If you have it with, like, let's say, put some cream in your coffee or you have it with some nuts or something, then it's more likely to last for a couple of hours. Okay. My thought on, on ca- caffeine and coffee, I think, is it's really individual. I mean, uh, you know, I, I can tend to drink uh, coffee and it really not affect me. I, I enjoy coffee. Uh, but I think you're right. I think there is a, a point that if you do drink too much, it can be detrimental. But I think that we all really process caffeine and coffee differently. So it's very, very individual. That's just my, my own thoughts on that. Yeah, we have different amounts that we can handle. But once you figure out what your amount is, it's probably going to be pretty stable um, throughout your own life. If you had to say the one biggest thing, the single biggest thing to improve productivity, is there, is there one big thing? Hmm. Yeah, there's, it's a mindset. There's a mindset that can, I think, really help you take advantage of working with a biological system to be productive. And that's to think about what's most important. What do I really want to do well? How can I set up the conditions for a brief period of being really effective where I can knock it out of the park? Um, And I'm going to get to the other stuff when I'm not at my best. You know, and so so it's about setting up a couple, maybe it's two hours, maybe it's a half hour, maybe it's three hours, four hours, but setting up, you know, a brief period where I can really be at my best. How can I set up those two awesome hours for that work when I need it? Or how can I set myself up to be at my best for whenever it happens to be scheduled? That's that's the way to really peak with productivity. That's awesome. Now, what... Uh... Are you a fan of morning rituals and routines? What are your thoughts on that? Um, you know, I think uh, that's one way we can take advantage of the fact that we're on autopilot so much, just make it easier to slip into it. Um, however, um, if you have a flexible schedule, it's really nice to check in with yourself and see how your mental energy is that day and, and shift things around or decide to exercise in the morning versus at noon or versus in the evening um, as a result of uh, – how how mentally present you already are. I wanted to ask you this, and I, I wonder if you have specific morning rituals or routines that, that you do that work for you, and, and what does that look like? Oh, sure, yeah. So in the morning for me, I do uh, – I have days that are very different. Some days are highly scheduled, and I'll have meetings all day long, um, and I'll have other days where I can be working from home, and it's totally flexible when I do things. Um, so what I do is when I wake up before looking at any media, and this is every morning I do this, uh, before looking at any media, you know, I have breakfast and I think about what, what actually matters. Um, and this is before looking at my to-do list or anything. So, you know, I build in a decision point at the beginning of the day. Right. And some of the things I take into account are, well, how fatigued do I feel? Did I get a full night's sleep? Am I thinking clearly right now? You know, to, and, and I take that into account. And if I am, let's say it's a flexible day, then I'm usually going to put in a good work session for a couple of hours, then get to – I usually uh, don't look at email until midday and then again at the end of the day because okay. it's so easy to get sucked in. Yes. But if I do in the morning, if I know there's something important that's waiting for me, yes. then I check and I search, but I do it in a way where I make sure I can't see the other stuff. You know, I just literally don't look at the other stuff because I, I know how attendance systems <laughs> right. work. And I know sure. that they will get – that will get on my mind and make it harder for me to have an effective work session. 
So, but you know, I don't want people to wait too long. So, you know, checking midday at the end of the day, um, you know, and, and people know to text me and call me if there's something absolutely urgent. So, you know, so then I'll have a workout session later on to set myself up for what's coming later. And if it's a day where I have to be out all day, well, I'm probably going to benefit from exercise most if I do work out in the morning before leaving, you know, so that'll be a way that I'd go about it. So there's, you know, mix up the pieces depending on what's on the schedule that day because I have a variable day. Some people have the same day every day, so a routine would make more sense. Got it. Got it. That's good insight. All right. So I have this uh, rapid fire segment that I do. Three quick questions, kind of the, the, the top line thing that, that comes to your head. And I figured I would keep this in here for you because I, I love doing this uh, segment here. So the first question is the book that you recommend the most to others would be what? <laughs> well, right now it's two awesome hours. <laughs> right. Of course. Of course. Of course. <laughs> right. um, yeah. What's another book, though, that I that I love? Uh, you know, OK, it's this has nothing at all to do with productivity. Sure, it's just a sure. book that I love that you won't have heard of otherwise. And right. it's a fantastic book. OK. It's called Coming of Age in the Milky Way. Um, by Timothy Ferris. It's not the same Timothy Ferris um, who wrote Four Hour Workweek. It's a, it's a, it's from the seventies. That's interesting. It, it wow. is a it is such a delight to read, and it's, and it, it it teaches all about astronomy. It's such fantastic stories. Um, absolutely love that book. Interesting. I didn't know there was another Timothy Ferris out there. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Something you've learned recently that's made a big difference for you personally. Oh yeah, I learned so so much about um, you know the ways that I've I was holding myself back in doing this research because I've had a chance to talk about that stuff already over the last hour. I'll add one other thing then. Sure. Learning about a growth mindset. Um, yes. There's a, a book by Carol Dweck called Mindset um, it, that really goes into outlining what this is all about um, and reviewing the research on the topic. But essentially, it's what happens when you believe that you can change the mobility you have versus what happens when you think that it's fixed. And it is remarkable the number of ways that you will discover that you've been holding yourself back. And it's so much easier to hear feedback. It's so much easier to push yourself and stretch yourself after reading it, um, you know, and learning about the topic. If you don't want to read the whole book, just learning about the topic, you know, um, but with brief articles online. That's Fantastic great. Yeah. You know, I've heard a lot about that book. I've never read it, but um, Mindset by Carol Dweck and, and that growth mindset. I recently had someone just uh, two or three months ago that was telling me about that book, and he was telling me that he, he read that concept that you just talked about, the growth mindset versus fixed mindset, and it was made a radical difference for him personally. So that's, uh, that's great. Third question, yeah, and third question and final question for the rapid fire segment here is the most damaging myth about being productive is what? Oh, the most damaging myth is that what we want is efficiency, that uh, we need to figure out how to just stay on task constantly because it actually it actually is what's making it hard for us to be productive. It's what's then making us, it creates this, this vicious cycle where we're less productive and therefore we need to spend even more time um, trying to work and then we feel like we need even more time and then it feels even more overwhelming. I mean, it's exactly the wrong thing to do. Uh, so, so the right, just the, be efficient. The, so the right thing to do would be to recognize, uh, how we're feeling the state and then try to really maximize that two awesome hours, whether that's 30 minutes or, or beyond that. But really I think awareness, what you talked about earlier. So is that, would that be the right way to think yeah. about this? 
Yeah, the right thing to do would be to work with your biology, Yes. Um, recognize that we can be highly effective for short periods of time. And if we set those up, then we don't need to find ourselves just trying to work constantly around the clock. Awesome. So where do people go to find out more about you, learn about uh, what you do and, and anything else that you want to talk about? Yeah, so you can find out all about me and what I do, and I do some coaching as well. Um, that uh, you can find that all on twoawesomehours.com. It's T-W-O, awesomehours.com. Um, and uh, there's links. You can contact me there. Um, you can uh, read about the book. You can read about uh, I have a, a hobby, that uh, a public speaking course that I love teaching. There you've got testimonials on there if you want to see what people have said about it. Excellent. Uh, but you can find out all about me there at twoawesomehours.com, about me and the book. Excellent. And as always, I'll have uh, links for your website in the show notes for this episode. Uh, again, I highly recommend this book, Two Awesome Hours. Uh, I, I was so excited to, to find this book, read it in a couple of days. Um, I reached out to you really immediately after uh, – I don't even think I was done the book yet. I mean I was so impressed by the book. I, I found you online and reached out to you, and I'm so glad that you uh, agreed to come on the show here. I hope that people go out and get this book because this is a book that can help every single listener on the show without question. Again, two awesome hours. And uh, my final question is what's the big advice you have for all the listeners, everyone in the audience here after hearing our interview here today? You know, my big advice is that uh, the, the key to being more effective is greater self-compassion, you know, is understanding yourself and knowing when to go easy on yourself. How do you, how do you, we, uh, how do we assess that? I, I guess I just want to dig a little bit deeper there. How, how can we have more compassion? What, what are some things we can do to recognize that and, and not be so hard on ourselves? Well, I'll tell you for me, uh, a lot of it actually came from understanding the science, understanding you know what I should expect from myself, when to keep banging my head against the wall and when to stop banging my head against the wall, you know understanding um, you know how the brain works during mental fatigue, you know what actually fatigues us, right. how too many decisions in a row can actually make it hard to make decisions after that um, for a period of time you know so learning those things. Uh, learning about the value of mind wandering so yes. that when my mind wanders, I don't beat myself up about it. I say, yeah, <laughs> right, great. Right. I'm going to let my mind wander for a few minutes. This is the best way to get back to work quickly and effectively. You know, so it's like understanding those things has gone a long way for me in terms of, of having some compassion with myself. Excellent. Great advice. Dr. Davis, thank you so much. Again, I really appreciate it. Wish you uh, great success with the book moving forward. Thank you. Thank you. Wish you great success also. It's been great. All right, guys. Well, there's the interview with Dr. Josh Davis. Again, I realize that this is something very different than things that we typically talk about here on a strength training podcast, but this is really important information and it's a really helpful and valuable system that I use that I wanted to share here with you. And I like doing unconventional things. I wanted to roll the dice here a little bit and do something different. And I might do this again down the line. I have some other topics and guests that I'm thinking about that really relates to improving all of our performance, our potential, and making us all better. So uh, let me know what you think about this. If you have feedback one way or the other, definitely let me know. Connect with me through Facebook or through the website, and I'd love to get your feedback on this week's show. Again, I do recommend this book. If you're struggling with productivity and getting things done, uh, there's no question that this book, this system will help you. I highly recommend it. I've got great value from it. 
And I'm really happy to share this uh, great resource and uh, these great strategies here with you. So I definitely recommend the book, Two Awesome Hours. It's fantastic and it's very easy to read and very easy to apply. So with that, guys, I'm going to sign off for this week. We'll be back to the normal uh, strength, conditioning, and uh, usual chat next week for episode number 142. So until then, thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week on the Ardella Training Podcast. Have a great week, guys, and we'll talk soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Ardella Training Podcast. Go to ardellatraining.com right now to join Scott's tribe of passionate fitness enthusiasts. Get valuable updates and resources that will help you take it to the next level. Train strong. We'll catch you next time on the Ardella Training Podcast.